This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many of our free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at area code 780-450-3730, by fax at area code 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. The Rise and Fall of Papacy by Robert Fleming, 1701-1848 edition, as read by Samantha Allosais. Tape 2. The fifth seal, therefore, discovers the state of the Christian Church to be exceedingly languishing and melancholy, as if the saints were all slain, praying and crying for vengeance against their persecutors while they are represented as lying under the altar. Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11. So that this period begins with Decius, the first first universal persecutor of Christians, for all the former persecutions under Nero Domitian, Trajan, and the Antonines were but provincial ones, and that of Maximinus against the ministers only, who began his reign and persecution together in the year 250, and was seconded in it by Valerian for the short reigns of Trebonianus, Gallius, and Emilianus hardly deserve to be taken notice of in this case. Now the souls of the martyrs are desired to rest patiently until the confused reign of Gallianus should run out, and the thirty tyrants that rose in his time should be cut off, together with the short-lived Claudius Gothicus, seeing after that little interval their brethren were also to suffer still further under Roman pagan, that is, under Aurelian, and afterwards, when the short reigns of Tacitus, Probus, Carus, and Carinus should be over, under the cruel persecutions raised against them by Diocletian and Maximianus, elder and younger, together with Severus and Maximinus. So that this seal ends with the conclusion of this last persecution begun by Diocletian and so expires A.D. 306. The sixth seal, Revelation 6, verse 12 to 17, gives us an account of God's gracious answer at length to the prayer of the slain witnesses in the destruction of Rome pagan after their cup was made full by the last cruel persecution. And this is described as if heaven and earth had come to an end, for so the prophets used to represent the ruin of kingdoms and monarchies, as we see among other places in Jeremiah 4 verse 24, Isaiah 13 verse 10, Isaiah 24, verse 21 to 23, and Joel 2, verse 10. So that this seal contains the great and terrible wars of Constantine the Great against all those last tyrants, 
from the year 306 to the death of the last pagan emperor, Licinius, in the year 324. The seventh seal, Revelation 8, verse 1, therefore represents the short breathing of the church and the peace of the Christians under Constantine from the year 313, when he first published an edict in their favor, and particularly from the death of Licinius in the year 324, to his own decease in the year 337, immediately upon which the scene alters, and then begins the second septenary of trumpets, which gives us an account of the state of the church in relation to the gradual growth and increase of her anti-Christian enemies, though in a way also of judgment upon them, which I represent to you in the following series and order. The first trumpet, Revelation 8, verse 7, began a little after Constantine's death, in the wars between his eldest and youngest sons, or at the death of the first in battle and of the last by the usurpation of Magnentius, which was a kind of mixed storm of hail, fire, and blood. The continuance of it was in the persecutions against the Orthodox by Constantius and Valens, with the intervention of that against all Christians by Julian the Apostate and the conclusion of it seems to be the usurpation of Maximus upon the death of Gratianus, and afterward the death of Valentinian II, and finally the wars and death of Theodosius, so that it began with the year 339 and ended with the year 395. The second trumpet, Revelation 8, verse 8 and 9, represents a great kingdom under the emblem of a mountain, Jeremiah 51, verse 25 burning with fire, that is, in a cruel and fierce manner, and thrown into the midst of the body politic or empire of Rome represented by the sea, Revelation 8, verse 8, by which the third part of it became blood, by which we are unquestionably to understand the eruption of the barbarous nations of the Vandals and Goths into the Roman dominions. This began about the death of Theodosius and made a formidable progress in the year 405 in the days of Arcadius and Honorius by Radagisus and afterwards Alaricus who took Rome in the year 410. And it was continued during the inroads of Atholophus the Goth who pillaged the great city in the year 414 and of Gensericus the Vandal and of Attila the Hun into Italy and other Roman provinces which they and others about that time wasted miserably to the year 455 and afterwards to the year 476. The third trumpet, Revelation 8, verse 10 and 11, doth plainly represent the destruction of the Western Empire by a star falling from the heaven of its glory as a burning lamp, for after it had struggled with its fatal destiny under the obscure Caesars, Avitus, Majoranus, Severus, etc., it did at length expire with Augustulus in the year five in the year four seventy five or four seventy six. This star was called Wormwood because of the bitter troubles this brought upon the empire. For the Ostrogoths planted themselves in Italy and reigned as arbitrarily as the emperors had ever done so that this period began with the kingdom of the Ostrogoths in the year 476 and ended with it in the year 553. The fourth trumpet, Revelation 8, verse 12, brings yet further desolations on Rome by darkening its splendor and glory 
represented by the eclipsing of the sun for a third part of it, and the moon and stars also in like manner, by which we are to understand, no doubt, the decay of the imperial power and authority in the West by the Lombards and the Exarchate afterwards. So this that so that this trumpet lasted from the year 568 to the year 758, when Pippin made the Pope in a manner king of Rome, who, in requital of his kindness, gave his son Charlemagne the empty title of Emperor of Rome, making thus the succeeding Western Empire an image of the ancient one, Revelation 13, verse 14 and 15, by which both the power of the Lombards, of the Exarchate, and the emperors did, as it were, terminate in him. And as the Exarchate ended in the year 752, so the Lombards were totally expelled from Italy a little after, that is, in the year 773. Now follows a threefold woe, which makes up the subject of the three following trumpets, which are therefore called the woe trumpets, because of the remarkableness of these judgments above the former. Therefore, the fifth trumpet, Revelation 9, verse 1 through 11, brings forth the first woe, the description of which is long, and the figures many, so that I cannot be supposed to say much on so large a head here. Let a short account satisfy you. In the first place, therefore, we are to understand that no other than the Bishop of Rome can be meant by the star that fell from heaven, for this is the symbol of the gospel ministry, Revelation 1.20, and agrees not, therefore, with Muhammad. Neither can the place this star fell from, that is, heaven, which denotes the glorious and holy state of the church, agree to any other than one that apostatizes from the service of Christ to the service of the world and Satan. So that as ancient Babylon is said to fall, fall from the heaven of temporal glory, as Lucifer or the morning star of the nations, Isaiah 14 verse 12, so is the bishop of Rome said to fall from the spiritual heaven of his primitive glory and purity, being degenerated from the first angel of light in the church to be the grand angel of darkness and becoming thus the prince of incarnate devils, the key of the bottomless pit, which he and his followers boast of as the keys of St. Peter, being put into his hand by the old serpent for carrying on the black designs of hell. Second, the dark pitchy smoke that came out of the pit upon his opening it was certainly designed to signify the ignorance that did then prevail in the world and the gross and horrid errors that were spread abroad and vended for divine truth by the sottish monks that then swarmed abroad under various names and leaders, and particularly the idolatry that then began to prevail universally in the world. For about that time, though several of the Greek emperors did stiffly oppose image worship, yet the popes did at length prevail, though multitudes on both sides lost their lives in this quarrel. Third, the locusts that came out of this smoke were the Saracens that followed Muhammad, who compiled the model of his religion by the help of Jews and Christian heretic, especially of Sergius, an Astorian monk whom the Arabian and Turkish writers called Bahira. These Arabian locusts, whose Hejira or Era is dated from Muhammad's flight from Mecca, A.D. 662, a little after the Pope got the title of Universal, Universal Bishop, A.D. 606, 
did in a little time so increase that they conquered or overran a great many countries in a very little time. For they overflowed Persia, Syria, Egypt, Palestine, and other places about the year 729. They extended their arms into India in the year 643 and into Spain in the year 711, and raged several parts of France from A.D. 721 to the year 726 till they were routed at length with a great slaughter by Charles Martel about the year 728. However, they continued after that to be a scourge to the Christians, especially under the reign of the great Almanzur, until about the year 772, when the Turks began to grow famous. So that the five months, or 150 years, wherein they tormented the Christians, though they had no power to destroy their empire, was from 622 to 772. But we must not imagine that these five months of years are the period of this trumpet, for this must be reckoned from 758 to A.D. 1067, or thereabouts, when Tangralipix, the Turk, put an end to the Saracen Empire by conquering the Caliph of Persia. Now, therefore, in the fourth place, to pass by the other things observable in this Saracen woe-trumpet, let it be considered that as the apostate bishop of Rome is called the angel or messenger of the bottomless pit, so Muhammad, the king and prophet of the Saracen locusts, is called Abaddon or Apollyon. Revelation 9 verse 11 That is, a destroyer, as carrying on his religion by sword and violence, from whence his locust followers are said, in verse 10, to have stings like scorpions, by which they poisoned the souls of men, if they did at all spare their bodies. For they were in other respects swift and strong as horses, and had faces like men in their reasoning, as well as fighting for their superstition, adorned with hair like women, appearing soft and insinuating at first view, though armed with lion's teeth and being fierce and cruel, by reason of which qualifications they got many victories, and are therefore represented as crowned with crowns of gold. Revelation 9, verse 7 But upon the whole matter, this trumpet, as it supposes the rise of the Saracen Empire from the era of the Hegira, 622, and the begun rise of the Pope from the year 606 or 608, so after five months or 150 years, that is, to the year 772, the Saracen preparations continued, and the papal from 606 or 608 to 756 or 758. So that the duration of this begins with the A.D. 758 and expires in relation to that part of it that concerns the Saracens about the year 1060. But in so far as it relates to the Popish anti-Christian party, it is continued down through the next trumpet and last, and the last both. But seeing the Saracens are brought in here as a scourge to the worshippers of the beast, the Turks succeeded them in this work. Therefore the trumpet is denominated from this visible scene of affairs, and we must accordingly suppose that it ends with them. The sixth trumpet, therefore, which is called the second woe, brings in the Turks upon the stage of the Roman Empire, who are represented as four angels or messengers of judgment. Revelation 9, verse 13 through 15, etc., which were bound on the other side of the river Euphrates for a time, 
but are now let loose to pass that river and make their inroads into the Roman Empire and to erect themselves into a monarchy upon the ruins of it. Now they are called four angels because then they were then divided into four sultanies or principalities as their ambassador to, ambassadors told the Emperor Justin in the year 570 as is related by one of the Byzantine his, historians and taken notice of by all writers on this head. For at their remarkable passing the river Euphrates, they were under the command of Suleiman, Shehum, and his three sons, and when he was drowned in the passage, they brought themselves under four other captains, that is, Atragules and his three sons, of whom one was the famous Ottoman, who a little after laid the foundation of that great empire over which his family keeps the scepter to this day. They are described as horsemen, for so they generally were, fighting on horseback for the most part, of which the horse's tail is still a monument, being used as their chief ensign of honor and command. Their number was prodigious, and might be at that time perhaps exactly two hundred thousand thousand, as it seems to be here asserted, for they seldom sent out an army of fewer than a thousand thousand fighting men at once. Their polished breastplates represented fire when they shone upon, when shone upon by the sun, and their horses are said to be like lions for fierceness. And seeing firearms began then to be used in war, of which they had great store, together with cannon of prodigious bigness, which did facilitate their taking of cities, and particularly Constantinople, their shooting these on horseback is represented as if the fire and smoke and brimstone had come out of their horses' mouths, their pieces being discharged over their heads. With these they killed the bodies of men, and with their tails, which had heads also, they killed the souls of those poor creatures that were stung or bit with their poisonous doctrines, insomuch that the third part of men, that is, the third part of the ancient Roman Empire, that is, that part which fell to Constantius, when Constantine divided the whole among his three sons, was destroyed and conquered by them. Now if we inquire into the time of this trumpet, we have an exact calculation given of it, for they are said to be prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, an hour being ever used indefinitely in this book for a season or period of time, we are accordingly to take it here. But days, years, and months being used definitely always, we must likewise interpret them so here also. So that the sense of the place is that the Turks were loosed from Euphrates as being prepared instruments in the hand of God for the ruin of the Grecian Empire for a certain hour or season, even for a day and a month and a year. So in that period of time they destroyed the Eastern Empire. For a prophetical year being 360 and a month 30, these, with the addition of one more, make up the period of 391 years. Now we took notice before that in or about the year 1067, that is 1062 of prophetical reckoning, Tangralipix erected the Turkish Empire upon the ruins of that of the Saracens. From thence, therefore, if we compute the 391 years, we are led down to the year 1458, according to our ordinary computation. But according to prophetical reckoning, to the remarkable year 1453, 
when Mohammed the Great took Constantinople and so erected his own empire upon the ruins of the Grecian. For as it is very remarkable that John does not make the period of 391 years to be the whole duration of the Turkish Empire, but only its preparation for after action from its first rise to its highest exaltation, so we see how exactly this is fulfilled in the event, which therefore I hope is no unedifying speculation. Now seeing there is a remarkable stop and void, as it were, between the end of the sixth trumpet and the beginning of the seventh, which is filled up with the account of the slaying of the witnesses, Revelation 11, I do humbly conceive that whatever particular slaughters of the saints were before, or maybe afterwards, the great slaughter must have been during that interval of time, for this could not be during the height of the two former woes upon Antichrist and his followers, and much less can it be supposed to be after the sound of the seventh trumpet, and while God's last plagues upon the beast are a pouring out. I do therefore reckon that the witnesses who prophesied in sackcloth from the beginning of papal superstitions, who were the honest Piedmontese, Albigenses, and Waldenses, who were slain at length after they had stood the shock of all former attacks, particularly, particularly that of Simon Montfort, with his five hundred thousand crusades, whom Innocent III diverted from the Saracen War, in order to extirpate that good people about the years 1200. Now the slaying of these witnesses began in the year 1416, when John Huss and afterwards Jerome of Prague were burnt, but came not to its height until the Bohemian Calextines complied with the Council of Basel in the year 1434 after which the faithful Taborites were totally ruined, as well as their brethren in Piedmont, France, etc., which happened about the year 1492. For they being destroyed, the Calixtines were no better than the dead cor carcasses, as they are called in Revelation 11, verse 8, or corpse of the former living witnesses, over which the Popish party did triumph, for they looked upon them as standing trophies of their victory, and therefore did not think fit to kill them further, or bury them out of their sight. For it is said, in Revelation 11, verse 7 and 8, that after they had finished their testimony, the beast did make war upon them, etc. He killed them and their corpse also, for the additional words in our version, shall lie, are not in the original, and do but mar the sense or their bodies, for some readings have it, Greek word, in the street of that great city, that is, in Bohemia, one street of the papal dominions, or the great city Rome, in a large sense. For I find, towards the end of the fifteenth century, the witnesses were in a manner wholly extinct, for Comenius tells us that about the year 1467, the Waldenses in Austria and Moravia had complied so far as to dissemble their religion and turn to popery in profession and outward compliance. The Taborites, in the meantime, upon their refusing to do so, were so destroyed that it was much that seventy of them could get together to consult about continuing their church and about finding out some qualified person to be their minister, for they had none left in the year 1467. And so low was the Church of Christ then, that when the hidden remains of the Taborites, 
who were called speculani from their lurking in dens and caves, sent out four men, as the same author relates in another book, to travel, one through Greece and the east, another to Russia and the north, a third to Thrace, Bulgaria and the neighboring places, and a fourth to Asia, Palestine and Egypt, they did all indeed safely return to their brethren, but with sorrowful news, that they found no church of Christ that was pure or free from the grossest errors, superstition and idolatry. This was in the year 1497. And when they sent two of their number two years afterwards, that is, Luke Prague and Thomas German, to go into Italy, France, and other places to see if there were any of the old Waldenses left alive, they returned with the same melancholy news as the former had done, that they could neither find nor hear of any remaining, only they were informed of the martyrdom of Savonarola, who suffered in the year 1498, and they were told of some few remains of the Piedmontois that were scattered and hid among the Alps, but nobody knew where. Now a few years after this, even the few remains of the Taborites were found out and persecuted, hardly any escaping, so that A.D. 1510, six suffered together publicly, and the, and the year following, that famous martyr, Andres Pelica, who I think was the last of the period, from whose death in the end of the year 1511, or beginning of 1512, to the dawning of the Reformation by the first preaching of Carol Estadius and Zwinglius, who appeared at least a year before Luther, as Hottinger and others tell us, there was only about three years and a half, which answers as near as can be to the three days and a half of the unburied state of the witnesses. So that the spirits entering into the witnesses, Revelation 11, verse 11, began with the year 1516, if not the year before, though this appeared most remarkably when Luther opposed the Pope publicly in the year 1517. They were not only in living, but, to explain the words of John, Revelation 11:11 11, a little further, they rose up upon their feet in the year 1529, when so many princes and free cities in Germany protested against the Edict of Worms and Spire, and so got the name of Protestants. They heard a voice from heaven saying, Revelation 11:12, Ascend hither, that is, to power and peace, when Maurice of Saxony beat the Emperor Charles in the year 1552. And accordingly they did after that ascend to the heaven of honor, rest, and security, as if they had been wafted up by a cloud, and that in the sight even of their enemies. When the Protestant religion was established and legally settled, and allowed of in the year 1555, which, which, which was continued and confirmed by, by Maximilian and Rudolf afterwards, in whose days the church began to be settled in several other countries, that is, in England, Scotland, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, and the Low Countries. Now it is observable that, that in this period of time, when the witnesses finished their testimony, or were about to do so, the Turks took Constantinople in the year 1453, which I take to be designed by the earthquake that destroyed the tenth part of the Roman dominions, Revelation 11, verse 13. For the Grecian Empire was reduced before that from being the third part of that empire to be the tenth only. 
so that Muhammad's prevailing over the Greek church and the Pope's conquest over the Western Christians were much about a time, and therefore said to be the same hour or period of time, that is, before the sixth trumpet ended and before the seventh began, for the sixth trumpet is the hour of the Turkish woe. And indeed their triumph was much of the same kind also, for as the Papists triumphed only over the dead bodies of the witnesses, that is, over the Calixtines who were no longer living witnesses, the Taborites being all gone, and having overcome their enemies by their blood and the word of their testimony, so the Turkish triumph was only over seven thousand names of men, that is, over the remaining Eastern Christians who were so degenerated in all respects that they were only names or shadows of true Christians. Only whereas the Grecians did yet own themselves to be the same in profession as their ancestors, and so were the same with them as to name, the Calixtines were even debarred that privilege. These things being therefore considered, which I could easily apart enlarge upon were I not confined at this time, I think it is abundantly plain that the great slaughter of the witnesses must have been precisely at the time I have mentioned, for it could not be till Antichrist was at his highest pitch of power and grandeur, which was not before this time. And it was not possible that it should be after the seventh trumpet sounded and the vials began to be poured out, seeing the witnesses were not only risen then, but were the instruments of this last and greatest woe to the worshippers of the beast. And therefore we find, in Revelation 11, verse 14 and 15, that as soon as the witnesses arose, the second woe ended, and the third commenced in the begun exaltation of the saints and servants of God. And it is to me altogether inconceivable that the witnesses should be risen, and the anti-Christian interest decline, and yet that the witnesses should be entirely cut off during such a period, so that I am almost bold on this head, though I am resolved to propose my apocalyptical thoughts only by a way of probable conjecture, to affirm that it is impossible, morally speaking, that the witnesses can ever be so entirely slain as they have been before, whatever particular and provincial persecutions they may be under for a time, and whatever formidable appearances there may be against the Protestant interest everywhere. Against this assertion I can foresee no objection of moment excepting one, and this is, that seeing the witnesses are said to prophesy all the twelve hundred and sixty days of the beast's reign in sackcloth, and to be slain only when they have finished their testimony, Revelation 11, verse 3 through 7. It seems therefore very strange to say that they shall be slain during the time of their 1260 days or years prophecy, and so long before the end of them. To which I answer, that in Revelation 11:3 there are two things spoken of with respect to the opposers of Antichrist. The first is, that they are called witnesses or martyrs against the abominations of that enemy, and the second is that they are said to preach or prophesy against that interest. Now it is only in the second sense that they are spoken of in relation to the whole 1260 days, so that though the witness-bearing of the saints continue in a large and general sense for 1260 years, and that for the most part in sackcloth because of the constant troubles they meet with from that restless enemy, 
yet their witness-bearing by martyrdom and sufferings, in a strict and proper sense, relates only to the time of their low and obscure state during the rage of the papists before the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Now it is not said, though perhaps this was never taken notice of before, that the witnesses were killed after their whole prophecy or preaching was over, or after the twelve hundred and sixty days were run out, but only after, but only that after their testimony for Christ by suffering was over, that then, I say, they were universally slain and cut off. Revelation 11, verse 7 Now, though there have been many persecutions since the Reformation and the sounding of the seventh trumpet, yet they were never universal ones. Besides, the difference is great between the witnesses before and since that time in this respect. For since Luther's appearing, our religion has been established publicly in several nations and authorized by law in opposition to popery, which it never was before. But to proceed, the seventh trumpet sounds, Revelation 11.14, etc., immediately upon the end of the sixth, that is, upon the rising of the witnesses. Now, as the thirteenth and fourteenth chapters of Revelation are but representations of the state of affairs under the sixth trumpet preceding, Relating to the condition both of the Church and Anti-Christian Party, so the 15th and 16th chapters are preliminary to the period of the seven vials being poured out upon the papacy and its dominions, of which visions I have a great many things to say, but I must curb myself now, lest I prove too tedious. I shall therefore only put you in mind of what I have hinted before, that the seventh trumpet comprehends the seven vials, for these are but the parts of it which gradually destroy the papal interest which had increased under the former trumpets. As therefore this period brings in reformation and by various steps makes the kingdoms of the world, which before were under Antichrist, to change so far and so wonderfully as to become the kingdoms of God and Christ, Revelation 13, Revelation 11, verse 15, etc. So after a general but glorious account of the state of the Church from the Reformation, chapter 14, and a general account of the vials to be poured out on the Popish party during the same period, chapter 15, we have a distinct account of the pouring out of these seven vials, chapter 16, in obedience to the great voice out of the temple, verse 1 which is but a repetition of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, chapter 11, verse 15, under a new representation of it. The third and last septenary, therefore, is that of the vials, or last plagues, and judgments upon Rome papal, which, as far as I can, I shall explain by a distinct account of such of them as I reckon to be fulfilled, and by some few conjectures upon the remaining ones. But before I proceed to the particular consideration of these, there are two things which I would premise. The first is, that as the trumpets did raise Antichrist up, and the vials must pull him down, so there is a wonderful relation that the last bear to the former, especially the first four ones. For the first trumpet and first vial bring judgments on the earth, the second trumpet and vial on the sea, the third trumpet and vial on the rivers, and the fourth trumpet and vial on the sun. The second is this, 
that seeing the vials do suppose a struggle and war between the popish and reformed parties, every vial is to be looked upon as the event and conclusion of some new periodical attack of that first party upon the other, the issue of which proves at length favorable to the latter against the former, which seeing it is the most noble and remarkable part of the period that the vial relates to, is therefore that which denominates the period itself, even as the conquest of Pompey by Caesar and of Antony by Augustus suppose their wars before and give the denomination to their governments. These things being premised, I now proceed. The first vial which fell upon the earth to the tormenting of the subjects of the beast, Revelation 16 verse 2, doth denote God's judgments upon the foundation of the papal power, the earth being that on which we walk and build our houses, and out of whose womb we are maintained. So that by this I understand the popish clergy and the papal dominions and revenues as they are upheld by them. This therefore began with the Reformation and continued until the time that the popish factors and trumpery were thrown out of as many countries of Europe as embraced, embraced the Reformation. And, and we may easily conceive what a mortification this was to that party, when the pretended sanctity of their priests, monk, monks, and nuns was found to be mere cheat, and their miracles nothing else but lies or legerdemain, and when their tales of purgatory were exposed to public contempt, and their pardons and indulgences would sell no longer and consequently when the Pope and his red-hatted and mitred officers saw themselves driven out of so great part of their dominions, their seminaries for breeding their motley soldiers of all denominations and orders pulled down, and so much of their yearly revenues lost. Whence they are said to fall under a noisome and grievous ulcer or sore. Being this way pained and vexed inwardly, and rendered contemptible to the whole world that looked upon them as no better than vermin and the plagues of mankind, so that this vial began with the rise of Zwinglius and Luther and the other ref reformers in the years 1516 and 1517 and continued to the year 1566, that is, about forty years, for against that time all the reformed churches were settled and published their creeds and confessions against Rome in opposition to the determinations of the Popish Council of Trent, published in the year 1563, and the creed of Pope Pius IV, which added twelve anti-Christian articles to the twelve primitive Christian ones, which was put out in A.D. 1564. The second vial, in Revelation 16, verse 3, must therefore begin where the other ended, as to the period of time that commences from thence. Now I find that in the year 1566, the wars between the king of Spain and the states of Netherlands began when the latter got the name of Geos, and though the Spaniards were often victorious at first, yet they were at length forced to declare them free states. It was then that the sea became blood to the Romanists, their votaries being miserably defeated in their expectations. For after their cruelties under the Duke of Alva in the Low Countries, and their massacres of the Protestants in France and other places, the scene was very quickly changed, so that A.D. 1588 the Spaniards lost their vast armada and did ever after decline in their power. 
and the Duke of Gaius, the inveterate enemy of the Protestants, was killed the same year. And, A.D. 1598, died Philip II of Spain, being eaten up of lice. The Edict of Nantes being given out the same year in France in favor of the Protestants, so that as the Reformed interest was in peace everywhere, and conquered in Holland and England, the Popish party, on the other hand, saw Spain, the late terror of the Protestants, brought to a languishing condition and all their allies weary of war and persecutions. And as in the year 1609 the truce was made between the Spaniards and the Dutch, so the war, though renewed and carried on afterwards, became languid and faint, so as hardly to be felt or minded by either party, especially the Dutch, who were for the most part victorious and successful, so that the period, so that as the period of this vial began in the year 1566, we may reckon it continued about fifty years, that is, to the year 1617, seeing we shall find that the third vial did begin then. For the third vial, Revelation 16, verse 4 through 7, was poured out upon the rivers and fountains of water, or those territories of the papacy which were as necessary to it as rivers and fountains are to a country, being as it were the former vial continued as to the kind of as to the kind of the plague. For as the former destroyed the living creatures or living souls that were in or upon the sea, that is, the Spaniards, the great mariners of the world at that time, as to their marine power, who after the year fifteen eighty eight lost their former sovereignty of the seas to the English and Dutch, so this latter plague makes it difficult for the Popish party to subsist and even keep their ground in the inland country and several dominions of Germany and the neighboring places. For in the year 1617, Ferdinand, being forced upon the Bohemians by the Emperor Matthias and crowned king, the foundation of new quarrels was laid this way. For a little while after, another most bloody religious war ensued, which shook all the empire and frightened Europe. And though the Protestants lost Bohemia, the Palatinate in part, and were driven out of Moravia, Austria, and Silesia at this time, and were not only persecuted in many places, but like to be extirpated and rooted out universally, yet the time turned, tide turned all on a sudden. For after the emperor had ruled Germany with a veteran army for a considerable time, Gustavus Adolphus enters Germany in the year 1630 and conquers everywhere. And though he was killed about two years after, yet his army continued victorious, until at length all things were accommodated at the Peace of Munster, A.D. 1648, with which therefore the period of the third vial must be supposed to end which consists of 31 years. Now as this began with the persecutions against and cruelties upon the Protestants, so at length the angel of the waters is heard to give thanks for making the papists drink of their own blood at last, which song of praise another angel falls in with and says amen to, all which seems to denote the joy both of the Protestant state and church upon the success of the Swedish arms against the emperor. The fourth vial comes now to be considered, and as this is poured out upon the son of the papal kingdom, Revelation 16, verse 8, so the effect of it is men's being scorched or burned with fire, 
which yet does not make them turn to God, but blaspheme his name the more, as we may see in verse 9. Now as this vial must begin where the other ends, that is, at a little after at or little after the year 1648, so I cannot see, but it must denote the wars that followed the peace of Munster with other incidental occurrences. Now we find that the French hostilities and wars in Flanders began about this time, and though this fire seems to be quenched by the Pyrenean peace about ten years after that of Munster, yet this proved rather to fuel the flame which broke out with more violence than before by the seizure of Lorraine, the new conquests of the French in Burgundy and Flanders, and the wars upon Germany and invasion of the Low Countries, to which we may add the French king's quarrels with several popes uh, about the restitution of Castro, the rights of the Duke of Modena, the affair of Corsi, and about the regale and the franchises. Now seeing the bombarding of towns and cities was chiefly made use of in these latter wars, we may see how properly the scorching or burning men from above, as if the sun had sent down fire and heat from his own body, is made use of to characterize the time of this vial. But the chief thing to be taken notice of here is that the sun and other luminaries of heaven are the emblem of princes and kingdoms, as we took notice before. Therefore the pouring out of this vial on the sun must denote the humiliation of some eminent potentates of the Romish interest, whose influences and countenance cherish and support the papal cause. And these, therefore, must be principally understood of the houses of Austria and Bourbon, though not exclusively of other popish princes. Now it is not unusual with God to make his enemies crush and weaken one another, and thus I suppose this file is to be understood, when it is said that, upon the pouring of it out on the sun, power was given to him, that is, the sun, as most understand the words from this connection, to scorch men with fire. And this is plain in what of the vial is fulfilled, and will be perhaps more so afterwards. As therefore France was made use of in the instances given to vex and scorch, scorch the Austrian family, in both branches of it, so afterwards was he himself tormented when he saw himself forced to leave Holland, which he was so near surprising in the year 1672, and especially when he was forced to resign all his conquests in Flanders by the late peace of Rieswick. It is true he seems now to have got more glory than ever by the accession of his grandson to the Spanish monarchy, but then this is by an eclipse upon the Austrian family which is expired upon the first branch of it. And who knows, but this advancement may lay the foundation of the ruin or decay of the French power by exhausting that kingdom both as to men and money in defense of a weak monarchy. In the meantime, we see this vial has already taken place in darkening the glory of King James, whom the Papists expected new conquests from, by the hand of King William, by whom also God put a stop to the career of the French monarch in his conquests in Flanders and on the Rhine. And we see it further poured out in the eclipse of the Austrian family by the loss of Spain and its dependent principalities, as also in defeating the wicked designs of the three confederating monarchs of Poland, Denmark, and Russia. And now... 
seeing I have marked out the time we are in at present, it is time also to put a stop to our apocalyptical thoughts, seeing no man can pretend upon any just grounds to calculate for future times. However, seeing I have come so far, I shall adventure to present to you further with some conjectural thoughts on this head, for I am far from the presumption of some men to give them any higher character. Now my conjectures shall relate to two things, that is, to the remaining part of this vial and to the other files that follow this. And, one, as to the remaining part of this vial, I do humbly suppose that it will come to its highest pitch about the year 1717 and that it will run out about the year 1794. The reasons for the first conjecture are two. The first is, because I find that the papal kingdom got a considerable accession to its power upon the Roman Empire upon the Roman Western Empire's being destroyed in the year 475, to which the Heruli succeeded the following year, and the Astrogoths afterward. Now, if from this remarkable year we begin the calculation of the 1260 years, they lead us down to the year A.D. 1735, which in prophetical count is this very year, 1717. The second is, because, as I have many years ago observed, this year leads us down to a new centenary revolution, for is it not observable that John Huss and Jerome of Prague, to run this up no farther, were burned in the year 1417, after which the true religion in Bohemia and other places was more and more obscured and suppressed until that famous year 1517 when Luther arose and gave the Reformation a new resurrection. According to the remarkable prediction of Jerome of Prague, Centum Annis Revolutis Deo Respondibitis et Mihi, which the, Af- which the Bohemians afterwards stamped upon their coin as their motto, from which year the reformed interest did still increase, whatever particularly stops and troubles it met with, till the year 1617 about which time the German and the Bohemian Wars began to break out, and it is but too obvious what an ebb hath followed since that time to this, notwithstanding the pouring out of the second, third, and fourth vials, so that there is ground to hope that, about the beginning of another such century, things may again alter for the better, for I cannot but hope that some new mortification of the chief supporters of Antichrist will then happen, and perhaps the French monarchy may begin to be considerably, considerably humbled about that time, that whereas the present French king takes the sun for his emblem, and this for his motto, nec pluribus impar, he may at length, or rather his successors and the monarchy itself, at least before the year 1794, be forced to acknowledge that in respect to neighboring potentates, he is even Singulus impar. But as to the expiration of this vial, I do fear it will not be until the year 1794. The reason of which conjecture is this, that I find the Pope got a new foundation of exaltation when Justinian, upon his conquest of Italy, left it in a great measure to the Pope's management, being willing to eclipse his own authority to advance that of this haughty prelate, Now this being in the year 552, this by the addition of 1260 years reaches down to the year 1812, 
which according to the prophetical account is the year 1794. And then I do suppose the fourth vial will end and the fifth commence by a new mortification of the papacy. After this vial has lasted 148 years, which indeed is long in comparison with the form of vials, but if it be considered in relation to the fourth, fifth and sixth trumpets, it is but short. Seeing the fourth lasted 190 years, the fifth lasted 102, I'm sorry, 302, and the sixth, 393. And now, my friends, I may be well excused if I venture no further in giving you any more conjectural thoughts upon this present period of time. But seeing I pretend to give my speculations of what is future no higher character than guesses, I shall still venture to add something to what I have already said. Therefore be pleased first to call to mind what I premise to the considerations of the seven vials, as the second preliminary, that is, that seeing the vials do, all of them, suppose a struggle or war between the popish and reformed parties, every vial is to be looked upon as the event and conclusion of some new periodical attack, attack of that first party upon this other, the issue of which, which proves at length favorable to the latter against the former. For if this be con duly considered, it will let us see that great declining of the Protestant interest for some time, and great and formidable advances and new degrees of increase in the Romish party, are very consistent with the state of both these opposite interests under the vials. For as Rome pagan was gradually ruined under the seals, under many of which it seemed to increase to outward observation, and to become more rampant than before, when yet it was indeed declining, so must we suppose that it will be with Rome papal. For monarchies, as they rise gradually and insensibly, so do they wear out likewise." and therefore we must not entertain such chimerical notions of the fall of the papacy as if it were to be accomplished speedily or miraculously, as many have done. For as it rose insensibly and step by step, so it must fall in like manner. But to illustrate this further, as to what of the vials is yet unfulfilled by what is past, let us look back on the two preceding vials. The second vial, therefore, began with the formidable attack upon the Protestants by the growth of the Austrian family from the year 1566 to the year 1588, during all which time the vial seemed, seemed rather to be poured out on the Protestants than the Papists. But as there must be a war to denote a victory, so it was in this case, so that the vial was seen at last in its effects upon the Austrian party from the year 1588 to 1598, and afterwards to 1617. For it is with the Church as it is, often, as it is with particular Christians, who are often sorely buffeted by Satan, and sometimes brought even to extremities by temptations, but do ever carry the victory at last. Who would have believed that the Christian Church was about to triumph over the Roman pagan empire, when the dreadful persecution under Diocletian and his collegiate emperors was at its highest pitch. But the darkest time of the night ushers in the dawning of the church's day, in the usual way of God's providence over the same, and this is very conspicuously to be observed in the, third, in the period of the third vial. Who would have thought that the loss of Bohemia, 
and the Emperor Ferdinand's ruling all Germany with a formidable army were like to issue in the victories of the Swedish arms and the future security of the Protestant interests through the Empire and elsewhere, so that we must not wonder if for sixteen years the House of Bourbon be raised up to be a further terror and scourge to the world and to Protestant nations particularly. And as a confirmation of this conjecture, let it be considered in the second place, besides what I hinted before on this head, that it is something very extraordinary and peculiar in some sense to this vial that the sun upon which it is poured out should yet be made the executor of the judgment of it on others at the same time that he is tormented with it himself. So that whosoever is denoted by the sun here, as I suppose the house of Bourbon principally is, is made use of, as the devil is, both to torment others and to be tormented himself in so doing. And if the king of France, therefore, be denoted by this principally, I fear he is yet to be made use of in the hand of God, as Nebuchadnezzar was of old against the Jews, that is, as a further severe scourge to the Protestant churches everywhere. And besides this characteristical mark, which seems to forebode his further exaltation and our humiliation, there is yet a third thing that I cannot but think upon with dread and trembling of heart. That is, that it is further said that while this son of the popish world is running his fatal and dreadful career and scorching men with fire, they are so far from being bettered by these judgments that they go on more and more to blaspheme the name of God who has power over these plagues. And while this continues to be the state of the Protestant world, and while atheism, deism, Socinianism, irreligion, profaneness, skepticism, formality, hatred of godliness, and a bitter persecuting spirit continue and increase among us, what can we expect but new and desolating judgments? For while we continue to walk thus contrary to God, we cannot but expect that he should walk contrary to us also. It is in vain for us to boast of our privileges or plead exemption from judgments on this account. For where there is no national reformation and repentance, national sins are like to pull down miseries upon us so much the sooner and more certainly that we have been so singularly and peculiarly privileged. For we may in this case expect that God will say to us, as to the Israelites of old, you have I specially known and chosen above all the families or nations of the earth. Therefore, therefore will I punish you more certainly and more severely than any other nation or kingdom. Amos 3 verse 2 And therefore, if we go on in our sin as we hitherto have done, let us take heed to ourselves lest vengeance be near. I pray God I may be mistaken in my fears but I am afraid I have but too just reason to turn prophet here by applying to ourselves what Peter said to those of his time. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, 1 Peter 4, verse 17, etc. Though I do also conclude with him that if it begin at us, dreadful will be the end of our enemies at last. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly appear? Wherefore, if we be called to suffer for our holy religion, let us do so according to the will of God, committing the keeping of our souls to Him in well-doing as to a faithful Creator.
and I wish my conjecture be not found to be more than a mere guess that for about sixteen years our popish, our Romish enemies may prevail more and more. Though how far these may be lengthened out or shortened, we can only conjecturally judge of from the future carriage of the Reformed churches under the circumstances they may be stated afterwards. If any say that these are melancholy conjectures, I must tell them that I cannot help the matter, for I must follow the thread of the text and the aspect of the times. If they ask, but when will the tide turn for the Protestant church? I answer, when they turn more universally to God and no sooner. But if they inquire further, whether the son of the popish kingdom is not to be eclipsed himself at length? I must positively assert he will, else this vial were not a judgment upon him and the Romish party. But if yet again the question be when this is to fall out and how, I must tell you that I have nothing further to add to what I have said as to the time. But as to the manner how this is to be done, our text does lay a foundation of some more distinct thoughts. Therefore, in the fourth and last place, we may justly suppose that the French monarchy, after it has scorched others, will itself consume by doing so its fire and that which is the fuel that maintains it, wasting insensibly, till it be exhausted at last towards the end of this century, as the Spanish monarchy did before towards the end of the sixteenth age. And if we do now heartily and unanimously enter upon a war against France, with the assistance of allies, and be but vigorous and faithful in the prosecution of it, securing the source of money and treasure in the heart of America, and bringing the war into the bowels of a nation where a young monarch is hardly established, I say, if we do this without losing our opportunities, our peace and security may yet be lengthened out. Whereas, if we suffer ourselves to be lulled asleep at this time, we may have cause to lament our not having improved our season. But seeing I am not called to give my advice one way or other, I shall leave the, determina- the determination of such weighty matters to the wisdom of national councils. However, as my duty is to pray for direction unto these, so I earnestly wish that there may be nothing to stop the regular and secure procedure of public matters in this critical juncture, upon the wise improvement of which our future stability and peace do so much depend. And now, after all this, I desire you may consult a book I formerly published called The Rod or the Sword, or The Present Dilemma of These Nations, for ye will see there more fully my thoughts of our times, and how the moral reasons given there, taken from the aspect of our age, though preached in 1692 and published the following year, do exactly agree with my present apocalyptical thoughts. One thing only shall I further take notice of here, upon the occasion of the king of Spain's death, that God seems to mark out great things sometimes by very minute ones, such as names. For example, as the Spanish monarchy began with Charles V, as to the Austrian family, so it has now expired in one of the same name, which I the rather observe because of many instances of the same kind, of which number take these following. Darius the Mede, as Daniel calls him, though Xenophon calls him Cyaxares, the uncle of Cyrus, was the first Medo-Persian monarch after the destruction of the Babylonian. 
and Darius Codomanus was the last. Ptolemaeus Legi began the Egyptian kingdom after Alexander's death, and Ptolemaeus Dionysius was the last of that race. Augustus fixed the Roman Empire, and it ended in Augustulus. The Eastern Roman Empire was erected by Constantine, Constantine the Great and expired with Constantine Paleologus. The Scots race came into England in a James and has gone out again in another of that name. And will, whether William, the third king of England of that name, as well as the third William, Prince of Orange, be likely to be the last both these ways, is left to future time to unriddle. Only I pray that God may long preserve him and us by him, and that he may live to be a further scourge to France and a terror to Romanists. But, two, to proceed with my other conjectures relating to the remaining vials, I do further suppose that the fifth vial, in Revelation 16, verse 10 and 11, which is to be poured out on the seat of the beast, or the dominions that more immediately belong to and depend upon the Roman see, that, I say, this judgment will probably begin about the year 1794 and expire about the year 1848, so that the duration of it upon this supposition will be the space of 54 years. For I do suppose that seeing the Pope received the title of Supreme Bishop no sooner than the year 606, he cannot be supposed to have any vial poured out upon his seat immediately, so as to ruin his authority so signally as this judgment must be supposed to do, until the year 1848, which is the date of the 1260 years in prophetical account when they are reckoned from the year 606. But yet we are not to imagine that this vial will totally destroy the papacy, though it will exceedingly weaken it, for we find this still in being and alive when the next vial is poured out. The sixth vial, Revelation 16, verse 12, etc., will be poured out upon the Mohammedan Antichrist, as the former was on the papacy. And seeing the sixth trumpet brought the Turks from beyond Euphrates, from their crossing which river they date their rise, this sixth vial dries up their waves and exhausts their power, as the means and way to prepare and dispose the eastern kings and kingdoms to renounce their heathenish and Mohammedan errors in order to, to their receiving and embracing Christianity. For I think this is the native import of the text, and not that the Jews are to be understood under this denomination of the kings of the east, which is such an odd straining of it to serve a turn as I cannot admit of. Now seeing this vial is to destroy the Turks, we hear of three unclean spirits, like frogs or toads, that were sent out by Satan, and the remains of the polity and church of Rome, called the beast and the false prophet, in order to insinuate upon the eastern nations, upon their deserting Mohammedanism, to fall in with their idolatrous and spurious Christianity, rather than with the reformed true reformed doctrine and these messengers shall be so successful as to draw these eastern kings and their subjects and with them the greatest part of mankind to take part with them so that by the assistance of these their agents and missionaries they shall engage the whole world in some manner to join with them in rooting out the saints and here in a parenthesis Christ give a, gives a watchword to his servants 
to be upon their guard in this hour of trial. Revelation 16.15 But when the Pope has got himself at the head of this vast army and has brought them to the place of battle called Armageddon, that is, the place where there will be a most diabolical, cunning, and powerful conspiracy against Christ's followers, then immediately doth the seventh angel pour out his vial to their ruin and destruction. The seventh vial, therefore, being poured out on the air, Revelation 16:17, brings down thunder, lightning, hail, and storms, which, together with a terrible earthquake, destroys all the anti-Christian nations, and particularly Rome, or mystical Babylon. And as Christ concluded his sufferings on the cross with this voice, It is finished, so the church's sufferings are concluded with the voice out of the temple of heaven and from the throne of God and Christ there, saying, It is done. And therefore, with this does the blessed millennium of Christ's spiritual reign begin, of which, and what may be supposed to follow, we took some notice above. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at area code 780-450-3730, by fax at area code 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T. 6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog.